Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. Sorry to startle my husband Craig. I'm Adam Roberts, your host. <laughs> we, this is the third take of our intro to this week's podcast because we had some I, we had some disagreements <laughs> along the way. But here we are on a beautiful morning. Um, I just made breakfast. It was delicious. There were sausages from McCall's Butcher Shop. Uh huh. Um, eggs that I actually bought yesterday. You I did. don't normally do the grocery shopping, but I was sent on a mission for eggs. Where did you buy the eggs? Albertsons. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh. It was nearby. It was on the way home. Um, I'm going to make a confession about eggs right now, which is that all the food people will tell you to get organic, free range. I mean, I like the free range because I care about how the chickens are treated. But in terms of like organic or in terms of like all the stuff in terms of it being tasting better, I don't think that you can taste the difference between eggs from the farmer's market and eggs from the store. However, I think they look different because the yolks are more orange. Hmm, I don't know. I've never done a taste test, but I bet you could probably taste a little bit of a difference. Maybe I, maybe be eggier if it I was... I think you could take, probably taste a difference. Or I don't know, maybe this is just some some weird, crazy, liberal, privileged point of view. But if you had like a bunch of factory farmed eggs yeah. next to like organic farmer's market eggs, I think you could probably taste the difference, but I haven't tested that theory. Remember I used to have a, I used to have a web show for food2.com called the taste test. This was like for like six months of my life. I, I used to have a little web series. I don't even remember that and I'm married to you. <laughs> it was just all eradicated from the web because it was so terrible. But it was basically me blindfolded tasting like three different yogurts and three different coffees. And it was a really bad show. <laughs> I made it with my laptop. And Gee, I got, it was. It sounds so compelling. <laughs> and I got paid to do it. Um, well, this week's episode of Lunch Therapy is very special. I have as my guest, Liwa Nasserdine, who I met um, when I was a TV writer, I guess. I still am a TV writer, but on my first show, The Real O'Neills, which was on ABC, uh, Liwa was the first friend that I made there, and he was also a staff writer. We were both staff writers, and he's gone on to write for Daredevil. He's written a bunch of screenplays, and right now he has something called an overall deal at Skydance. Craig, can you explain what an overall deal is? Um, uh, it's It's when... No, I, it, it's not off the top of my head. I think it's, I think an overall deal is where you're so talented and and the studio appreciates you so much that they they just pay you to come up with ideas, and it's like called an overall deal because they're they're holding you to them because it means that whatever you create, they own. That that is pretty much what it is. But it's a sign of being extremely talented and successful as Liwa is. And today we get into lots of subjects, including a subject that um, maybe we can talk about for a second, which is the subject of body image. Oh, okay. Do you struggle with your body image? Um. Well, I'm an ectomorph, which means I beg I your pardon. I have always been just sort of lithe and wiry and thin. I was a super skinny kid growing mm-hmm. up. Um, but, you know, your metabolism slows down. And now that I am a man of a certain age, uh, <laughs> uh, things are slowing down a little bit. I'm still pretty lucky because I still have a metabolism that's going. But like that little kind of little tummy area, the little tiny mini Small little inner tubey area on your love handles. That 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 I have to I have to watch. And I'm conscious of. 
Well, one of the things we talk about in the podcast that's coming up is like our own perception of ourselves, which I just think is so interesting. It's like sort of what, what you see when you look in the mirror with your shirt off, you know. And I think what's so hard now is that we live in this Instagram age where the images we're seeing are just perfect bodies and people with chiseled abs. And, you know, it's sort of it makes it difficult to know, like, what do I look like? How do I fit in? I think it's always been an issue, though. I think especially uh, especially for women who right. even prior to Instagram, you know, fashion magazines and models and billboards and this projection of ideal young female beauty. Which is what makes like someone like Lizzo so exciting that there's, you know, now new images of beauty that are out there that are non-traditional and sexy. And, you know, I think that's why mm-hmm. that's important. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm the Lizzo of food podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> well. No? Uh, um, but is it, is it something that you... I mean, I feel like part of what I talked to, I don't want to spoil the whole podcast, but part of what Liwa and I talk about is also like transitioning from the home that we grow up in, where we think of food and our bodies in one way to transitioning to being gay and the gay culture and how gay men think about food and their bodies. And, you know, it seems like it's very different things. But do you feel like you went on a journey with that? No, not really, not really, and I and I think I'm 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 lucky because I didn't struggle with feeling. I remember actually, you know, the, like not wanting to take my shirt off when I was in middle school at a swimming pool because I just thought I was just too skinny. Like really? I thought I was just a spindly, skinny, wimpy, dweeby kid, uh, and kind of kind of I remember feeling embarrassed. So, uh, the, you know, but but it never affected food really for me. Um, again, I think I'm really lucky. Well, it's funny for me because I kind of fooled myself into thinking that I could just be the food person and just sort of like not worry about body as I got older and just sort of enjoy cooking and use butter and olive oil. But, you know, the older you get, the more you start to see how those things play on your body and you start to become more aware of, oh, like if I eat, you know, pastries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it's going to start to show. So, you know, I'm, what I'm trying to find now is balance in my life. I'm not hoping to have an Instagrammable six-pack ab body. <laughs> you should see the faces that Craig is making right now. But I'm also, you know, trying to have a body that I'm happy with. Well, it's a balance. It's always a balance. It, does, it doesn't mean, you know, giving up the pleasures of good eating, it just means balancing it with all this normal stuff, exercise, everything you hear, you know, it's every, everything in balance. Well, people struggle with this. I mean, it's actually the number one question that I get asked and David Leibovitz when he was on says he gets asked it. And I'm sure every food person gets asked this, which is like, how do you cook all this and eat so well and not weigh 500 pounds? Well, we talked about this in another, you know, in another opening. We and did? Yeah. Yeah. I talked about, le- when we were talking about leftovers and uh, I mentioned how I, we we get that. How do you guys? You oh, know? right, right. And, um, you know, it's because it's similar things like portion control. Right. But it should also be said, I think metabolism is part of it. Not everyone has the same metabolism. So people can have different struggles with food and eating, you know, based on genetics, based on other factors, too. So, well, of course. Yeah. yeah those are the. Yeah. Um, well, this is a good setup and a good segue into this week's podcast with Liwa. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you that if you haven't already, you can subscribe to Lunch Therapy in Apple Podcasts. So just load up the podcast app in your phone and type in Lunch Therapy and click subscribe. And while you're there, 
you know, I think a very fun thing for you to do would be to review this podcast. So just give it a little review, maybe five stars if you feel generous. And if you can write a little something that really helps get the word out there. All right. Well, without further ado, here is this week's interview with my patient, Liwa Nasserdeen. Okay, well, Liwa, thank you for coming over. For you, Adam, anything. <laughs> um, okay, so p- for people who don't know who you are, I feel like we should start by saying how we met. Yes. So we were both on an app. I'm just kidding. No. Yeah, we were work husbands. <laughs> we were work husbands, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, so I started on my first ever TV show in 2015 called The Real O'Neills, yeah. which, was in two- which was on ABC. Mm-hmm. And I showed up at the building, and the first person I met was Liwa, who was walking in and you remember that yeah i was like this guy's my competition oh that's not what, no, no. i remember you turned around and you went hi i'm adam yes and i was like this guy <laughs> it's gonna be my work husband i know and then we shared an office you did and so um lee was, was a great mentor because you'd been on the goldbergs before that too right yeah okay yeah so real o'neill's was my second show right and we were there for one year together. I know. And, and so since then, you've done amazing things. You've written for Daredevil. Mm-hmm. You've been an actor. You're on mm-hmm. NC. You're on NCIS New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I mean, tell us like some of the things. I'm. You have an overall deal at Skydance. Yeah, I signed an overall deal with Skydance Television, yeah, and they are I'm getting too close to the mic. Already. <laughs> yeah, you're really close. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're doing great. It's been really amazing, but it's also like, you know, especially with the thing in this industry too, it's all relationships and yeah. it's been amazing to meet some really great people. And now I get to be here I with know. you, Adam. You're on lunch therapy. Oh. So I feel like, um, I don't want to skip ahead because we're going to get to the therapy later, but oh. I feel like I wanted to have you on because you grew up... Um, with a lot of food around you, right? Yes. And so that was interesting. And now you're living in LA and you're an uh-huh. actor and it's like, I feel like food is a totally different thing here. And so I feel like there's a lot of food stuff for us to talk about. Yes. The war of food. <laughs> yeah. <for> sure. <laughs> but we can get into that in a little bit. But I mean, I guess in a general sense, I mean, is food something that you think a lot about in your day-to-day life or not? Food really? thinks a lot about me. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, tell us more. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting growing up queer and, uh, and I was, I'm Arabic, I'm right. Lebanese, and there's a huge, uh, food component to that. And when you're growing up like queer, you're like, I want to be invisible. So the great mm-hmm. thing is at least my experience, not to project onto everyone else, but food for me became this like blanket. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like my mom would never. She would think if something was homemade, it was healthy. Okay. So she'd be like, cheesecake, homemade. <laughs> I'm like, no, mama, son, fuck, what are you talking about? Right. Um, so there was, I was the person who, I was like, I gained a lot of weight and I used it as comfort. But then it got to a place where uh, my mom would never teach me how to cook. Okay. Because it was her love language. Gotcha. So she it was it gave her something that she could offer you. Yeah, she was kind of like like the witch from Hansel and Gretel. Like she had like a vested interest in me being fat because it was like evidence of her love, and that was like her love language. And she was, I mean, she's a professional Arabic dessert maker. Yeah, I wanted to hear more about that too. Awesome. Because also we should say that you grew up in Canada. Right? I did. And where yeah. in Canada were you? Alberta. Alberta. Prairies of Alberta, baby. <laughs> so your parents had come from Lebanon to yep. Alberta. Yeah. So they were. It was you were the first generation. First generations. We were g- trying to come to America, mm-hmm. but my dad was a political activist. Okay. 
against like American foreign policy. Uh. <laughs> so I think they were like, <laughs> they told him it was easier for Washington to move to Lebanon than for my dad to come into the country. Oh, wow. Okay. He didn't tell me until I got my green card. I was wow. like, is there anything I need to know? He's like, no. Um, <laughs> so Canada, especially because Alberta was just so cold. Right. That, and we, there was a huge Lebanese community and my mom was kind of the person that everyone would go to mm-hmm. all the time. So in a lot of ways, I think that's where she got her esteem from. I was like her test subject mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it's like the best, it's the best food that ever happened. But then when I moved to LA, I yeah. was like, Hey, you need to like teach me how to make food so I don't die you mean me i needed to teach you well you ended up becoming that person. oh you're saying your mom <laughs> my mom oh, you need yeah. her to teach you <laughs> yeah no i come here for dinner i but, know but. and she had a real hard time with that <laughs> right because it was like handing over the keys and a lot of times like my mom doesn't use recipes it's right. like instinct and i never had that so now i use apps to eat but i'm curious so so she was a pastry chef and mm-hmm. i mean again we're getting a little ahead of ourselves but did she work at a restaurant or did she work from no, home no she worked from home so she made pastries and then sold them yeah. to restaurants or to yeah well because i'm lebanese there was a wedding every 45 minutes okay so there so they would always go to her so it wasn't really out of stores but if there was ever an engagement party if there was ever a wedding anything any religious holidays it went directly to her uh-huh. and so like i watched her cook mm-hmm. and really create an environment and i loved that right and coming to la cuz i was the first person to move out of canada from my ever family. in the history yeah. of canada in the history <laughs> of canada uh so coming here i remember the first day i got here and i looked around my kitchen i was like i don't know how to do any of this shit <laughs> it's so funny because like i had the opposite experience where my mom never cooked she hated cooking and so i grew up in a kitchen with like that was a barren kitchen oh. so when i got out of the home for the first time and i had my own kitchen it was like what, what would it be like to like put things in here and like turn this gas on you know so it was sort of like that like i had nothing to go off of uh-huh which i think for you it must have been intimidating to um try to recreate this food that you grew up with well yeah especially arabic food because it's pretty like tabbouli yeah. is really hard to make. Like, I don't even know how to hold the knife. So it's like, I'm going to cut my body. <laughs> tabbouli, but isn't it just like a salad? It's a salad, but it's how finely it's cut right. with parsley, with tomato. Uh-huh. I remember I tried doing it and it was like the opening of like a Law & Order episode. <laughs> like blood everywhere. We could do it. Yeah. I could teach you how to cut parsley. Well, why do you think I've gravitated so much towards uh, you? you? That's why you feel like, safe. And that's why yeah. you make me dress like your mother that's and, why and rock you a little yeah, bit at every I'm, dinner party. Scream at me. Yes. Scream <laughs> at me. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, so you came here to LA, but I guess the original question was like, what is the role of food in your life? Now, I mean, does because it sounds like you grew up in a home where food was very important. Yeah. Does it still feel very important to you as a thing? You know, and because this is called lunch therapy, I think we should get into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've always had a really complicated relationship with food, if I'm honest. And I think it's because it was the thing I used as a blanket, but mm-hmm. then it was the thing that kind of deterred me from stepping out. It was like, so I remember like my mom would make all this food and I would always eat it. And it's like, mm-hmm. it was our connection. But then I got Tybo. Uh-huh. And I remember. What's that mean? Tybo was like, it was a Billy Blanks. It was like a workout video. Oh, okay. And it was like, it was, it was like kickboxing. Right. Yeah. It was essentially like me coming out. <laughs> like anyone who went right. downstairs and saw me do Tybo. But I lost 35 pounds. Right. Okay. And I remember my mom, there was like a disruption in the force. Mm. She's like, what? And I was like, I really need your support on this. And she's like, uh-huh. <laughs> 
That's fascinating. <laughs> so it's like your weight on your body was indication of her love. Absolutely. And for you to lose that weight was for her to feel like she'd failed as a mother. Yeah. And it was really interesting though, too, because if you like my, I remember my dad, he's like, your brother is a hundred percent muscle. I'm like, he's a hundred percent muscle. He's like a hundred percent. He wasn't. Right. And I remember when I was like, God in shape, they're like, you look like an alien. It's a, you're too thin. And I just, uh, so that was always a struggle too. Right. Because finally I had this like accomplishment yeah. and everyone's like, you're really thin. I'm like, I'm 195 pounds <laughs> in eighth grade. That's I'm not. so fascinating. And also it's like you were modeling yourself in a different culture at that point. Like, right. I mean, were you at that point, like looking at gay men or looking at men that you were attracted to and wanting to look more like that as opposed to the culture you were coming from? Well, it's a really fascinating conversation. It's one that I've looked at a lot, especially like in my writing, because the thing that became my comfort was also the thing that became this barrier to stepping from, at least in my like teenage mind from one experience to the other. Mm -hmm. So, and it's interesting because I'm also going like that as a writer, like when we eat, yeah. As a writer, I don't know what your experience is, but I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I just have to like power through. Oh, I'm the total opposite. That's why I haven't written anything. Oh, no. It's like me. I was I'm like, very interested in where I'm going to have lunch and not very interested in how I'm going to break act two of my screenplay. You know, oh, I'm like, you better get me this umami burger. Yes. You better get me these cheesy tots. But now in the <laughs> acting side, like right. you can't. You can't do. So no, it's, it's been wow. an interesting. Th- I mean, you can if you want, but. I think you've had um, the most successful first 10 minutes of this podcast of any guest so far because we've really? already, well, we've already gone like deep into the well of your psychology. Oh, are you kidding? But now we're at the moment where I'm going to ask you, Liwa, what did you have for lunch today? Well, this is so fascinating. And you know me, I love a good setup. So yes. I'm going to tell you what I had because uh-huh. uh, I ordered it, but the order came and it was wrong. Oh. And I didn't I'm, change it because it's so indicative of I'm, my experience. Love that. So I got from zinc a burger bowl zinc is a restaurant zinc is a restaurant on melrose okay i think i've been it's like a wine bar uh no it's like a like a cute lunch spot that does like healthy and i like to have a burger that i love but i was like i don't want i was like i'm not gonna have the bun not going to have the, I think it was like a thousand Island dressing. Uh-huh. And I was like, I felt really good. And if I do that, then I can have fries. So this is like the constant uh, okay. war that's going sure. on. And then it showed up. And it was in a bun mm. and there was a thousand island dressing on it. Okay. So and it wasn't I, the wrong thing. It was just, they didn't listen to your special requests. That yes. You, so okay. it was a very strong echo of my childhood. Uh-huh. So how did you handle How did you feel when you opened your lunch? I was so happy. Cause I just <laughs> wanted that fucking bun. Can we swear on this? Oh, this is, Hey, this is the internet. You uh, can do whatever you want. Listen. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Um, well, be listeners beware. <laughs> so, okay. So you ordered a, burger mm-hmm. a regular meat burger a meat burger and you wanted just the meat basically you didn't want the bun you didn't want the dressing yeah and maybe they could like put it on a bed of arugula right so maybe it'd be like, and and as someone who is like not super buff okay like eating a burger it can make you muscular <laughs> like like i feel like yes I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I feel like a lot of the guys that i'm friends with who have a lot of muscles uh-huh. present company saying? included oh, thank you. um like eat things like big hunks of meat and like but like for me like a burger feels unhealthy like it feels like a fried like there's something about a burger that just to me connotes not healthy i don't know why hence the burger bowl right Right. because then i'm like let me let me negotiate this i was gonna go on a hike right right. when i saw it this is something that happens with me too in the food realm yeah i can eat a steak for breakfast (laughs) like i don't have that 
lunch food, yeah. dinner food. I think what I'm saying though is that like red meat in terms yeah. of healthiness is yeah. like not thought of as like being healthy, but if you're trying to put on muscle, then like red meat is great. Right? Yes, but that's a misconception if you looked at like the new piece that came out from the New York Times, okay. right? About red meat, like the overconsumption, unless I'm completely wrong and I sound like an idiot, but. Uh, oh, I think I saw that piece, but yeah. it's so confusing. They're always changing their minds. It's like one second red meat is bad for you. Then it's good for you. Well, and I think it's because of the people that they test it. Like a lot of people who eat a, a lot of red meat can correlate with like soda and fries. And mm-hmm. so I think when they were originally doing uh, that, they were taking it. They, they had linked the meat right. as what could, what is like. But that's a recent article, but you were still eating meat before that article. Right? Well, it's because I'm Arabic. Though. It's like <laughs> bread. And, like, yeah, no, I, I already came close out. this door. Yeah. Sorry. And I the dog, the dog keeps coming in and out. Mm-hmm. It's a good opportunity to keep him out. But yeah, you were saying, so the Arabic culture, you eat a lot of meat? Yeah. Okay. We got a lot of meat. We used to have a lot of steak. We had a lot of roast. We had a lot of chicken liver. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. So good. How did your family prepare chicken liver? While I was downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing too, is like the kitchen was a very, very sacred space for my mom so it was kind of like she like she was oz behind the curtain like uh-huh. so she would just show up with these like immaculate uh meals and she also she really resonated with the idea of making a feast if there were still only three people like uh-huh. i remember when my brother got married his wife came mm-hmm. uh, fiance at the time and like it was just for the community so it was like six people it was a full fucking feast to the point where people were upset because they thought they were coming to an engagement party. <laughs> so Gibby uh, is like raw meat yeah. uh, that we used to have. So yeah, there was a huge focus. And so is, was your mom um, surrounded by her friends while she cooked or was she just by herself? No, she was just by herself. We were the only Lebanese people in the world not to have cousins anywhere because okay. we, we went to like Alberta. So it was really just the five of us. I mean, there was a huge community, but directly for the family. Yeah. She would just stay. Who were the, the five? Kitchen. So it was you, your brother, my sister. Oh, you have a sister uh-huh. too. And did she want your sister to cook? Like, was there a gendered element? No, to it? no. Okay. No, it was like, this was her thing. It was just her thing. Yeah. So she would make savory food and desserts. Yes. And, she and, made everything. And how, so, so the idea of, of it being love that you had to consume, mm-hmm. like, would she make you finish your plate? I mean, was that the idea? Like, she would present you with this? Oh, like, yeah. That's like a game. I mean, I remember the first time I brought a boyfriend over yeah. to my house, and I was like, look, here, this is the real. Whatever is on the plate, <laughs> you're going to have to eat. And he's like, well, there's just like shit I'm allergic to. Yeah. And I'm like, great. Well, then I'll send you to like, I'll drive you to the hospital. But like whatever <laughs> right. you think right. is going to happen to you, like you better eat everything on that plate. And it's also considered extremely rude. Like that whole, like, I'm going to pack this up. No, you have Arabic, to eat it. You eat that. Yeah. It's American gladiators, baby. So do you remember what she served that night to your boyfriend at the time? She did. She, I, I remember because she like, she put a lot of salt Oh. Santa was not afraid of some salt. So yeah. she it was it was like delicious. It was it was it was a meat pie with a side of tabbouleh. Okay. She made a chocolate roll. Oh it's this God. thing that has I don't even know what it's called. But it was literally like a plastic bag and you would roll it and there was cookies inside of it oh and you God. would freeze it. I think it's called a roulade. If do you watch the Great British Baking Show? I don't. Oh, I they, need you have to. to you have to like roll. Yeah, I kind of get But you concerned. roll like you have to you roll it in a plastic yeah. bag. It was like the craziest thing. Uh-huh. And then, so we had that and then we had 
uh, another meat serving. I remember it was like um, like a filleted steak. So I know that your relationship to food became complicated because of how you grew up with all this. But did it also make you discerning? Like like can you if you go out to a Lebanese restaurant now and get served food, are you like totally? Oh, this isn't a good version 100%. of kibbeh. You know. Absolutely. And because it was like from the motherland. Right. That like she, my mom, like I remember I saw a recipe book, even though it's like she would go off her like head mm-hmm. and it looked like a map to Mordor. Like it was like burned <laughs> edges. Like right. she like would touch it and yeah. like slowly disappear. So like it was really authentic. Mm-hmm. And there's only like, I think there's only like two restaurants here that that for me passed the test. What are they? Car- I can't remember one, but Carousel in Glendale. Oh, I've been there. That's really close by. So good. Okay. And it's also so Lebanese because mm-hmm. there's always a birthday <laughs> and Arabic people always go like, happy birthday to you. And there's a guy jumping over your table <laughs> yes. with a sword. I've been there. Every <laughs> four seconds. I was on a date with my current partner and he's, like we're having this like great conversation and everything is like one more time uh, happy birds and I was like I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> we should all go there together. We should, That'd yeah. be so fun. Wait, so is there a signature dish or like a dish that if you if you could learn from your mother how to make like is there a thing you would most want to take on and learn for yourself at home? Baklava is such a staple and that's like baklava like yeah. the greek thing okay baklava. but it's not greek the it's lebanese it could be but we're just so proprietary i just know baklava it. from greek restaurants or yeah. like diners and stuff yeah but, um no, so real stuff. But how did you say it baklava baklava is that like your name it's like my name is it spelled like your name Liwa? Yeah, well, no, but like Baklewa. <laughs> no, Baklewa. Lewa. Yeah. Okay. Mine's does, Liwa. What are the what does those does that have a literal translate translation? I have no, oh, you have idea. no idea. Yeah, it, but it's baklava. baklava. The way you say it in Arabic, right. it is baklava. So okay, and so how does she make hers? That makes it so special. Well, this is the thing. It was always a closed door operation. Oh, so you don't know? Yeah, no, she didn't want any of us okay. knowing anything about it. So we would just have to taste test it, yeah. and it would be great. And my dad was always like it's very good no matter what so i think for a long time she wanted to get it to like excellent and uh, uh i think i was that person who's like this is the best thing ever if i eat i never have to be in love <laughs> <laughs> okay so clearly there's like a demarcation in your life of mm-hmm. like growing up surrounded by food having a mother making this incredible food and then doing taibo yep. getting in shape yep. moving to la mm-hmm. and then um ordering your burgers without a bun and without thousand island dress i mean it's like but someone- then it comes back with a bun you can't run your past so where can you track in this journey like that transition like to coming here and starting this life and being an actor as well as yeah um like where did it start to shift for you you know honestly i remember really vividly flying into la Mm -hmm. and the drive towards what would be my place now and what year was that 2008 Okay. So it was a great time of the writer strike and an economic recession. I'm, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. ah, I'm gonna make my dreams yeah, come true. Perfect time to move here. The other thing too is the Canadian dollar was like eighty cents to the so I like I got here, I immediately lost twenty percent of my money. Oh my god. There was a strike. Yeah. And there was a recession. <laughs> and I remember getting here and feeling like I don't have the luxury of that kind of consumption anymore. Mm-hmm. And so what it did was it was the environment that recalibrated what I could like 
logistically. <laughs> when we say consumption, you mean like when you were still in Canada? Were you outside of your mother's home, though, for a while in Canada? I went to college in a place called Red Deer, Alberta. I've never heard of that. Neither have I. <laughs> uh, so, But it was like a great small town, but it was always like an hour and a half away. And a lot of times in Canada, what happened is people would go to Vancouver or go to Toronto. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to come to L.A., fail. Right. At least I'll be able to come back to Canada and have some idea of how to work in film and television outside of the Canadian model. Mm -hmm. So when I got here, I was just like, Oh, I don't, not only do I not have the money, Mm -hmm. but I also didn't have that thing where I would just walk upstairs and all of a sudden be like, here you go. Oh, okay. So when you walked upstairs, that was your mom's house. Yeah. But did you have that when you were in college? She would always mail me stuff. Oh, really? So you're still eating well. in college? Yeah, Yeah. But the other thing too is I think it was harder for, I know this sounds like awful, but she, it was really her tie to me. I was I always see. her biggest cheerleader. So I think when I left and because I was, I was the youngest in the family, but the first to leave, mm-hmm. there was this like, Oh, like where am I going to get affirmed? And, and for me, food was like my affirmation. So right. I had to like pivot away from that and doing more like physical stuff. And also I got here and I had no car for five years. So wait, when your mom was sending you stuff to college, was she yeah. sending you like pastries, basically? Pastries. Uh, and it was only an hour and a half away from Edmonton. She wasn't sending you raw meat, was she? Probably. Oh, yeah. No, are you <laughs> kidding? Yeah. Like yeah. Here you go, sanity. That's what she would say. Um, and it, it was actually really interesting because I got here. Like I said, I didn't have the money. I was walking around. So LA is just a culture. Mm-hmm. It was really conducive for me to be healthier. Well, I've been saying this a lot. I don't know if it's on the podcast, but just in life recently that like, you know, I used to be judgmental of people who put like their looks and health and, you know, wellness above like the pleasures of eating. Mm -hmm. But now I truly see both paths as having their pros and their cons. It's like, oh, we're going to say, well, I love that. But then I, you know what I've also realized is there was a culture of eating until you were full. Yeah. So what ended up happening was that, Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have a healthy relationship to what was a limit. Right. Because in our culture, it's like you eat until you're stuffed. So as great as the food felt, yeah. you can only eat 7,000 calories so how for old so were you? Long. So, you, so you, you were like an overweight kid. Right? I mean, like, were you like medically overweight? Like, would, would the doctor have said? You, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so like, what age did you start to feel like, oh, maybe like I'm bigger than the other kids and my mom is feeding me too much. <laughs> well, it was interesting because I had a dual experience, right? Because yeah. the experience in my culture was like, wow, you're actually like average. And then I would go to school. <laughs> yeah. And then I also like secretly always wanted to be an actor. And it was like hard enough being like queer uh, and then being Arabic. Like it was, mm-hmm. I could be the bad guy from The Mummy or anyone <laughs> on 24 for the first two acts. <laughs> right. Um, so that like trying to position myself of like, wait, who do I, who do I want to become? And what is my relationship to food? So to your question, yeah. of, like, oh, I lo- like a great dessert was mm-hmm. amazing. But the next day I'm like, I feel like a bag of shit when but I were started you like eating. Eight years old? Were you like ten years old? I was about thirteen. So you were thirteen when yeah. you started to feel like you were overweight and you were conscious of it. Yeah, and especially because that really coincided with like your sexual awakening and yes. stuff like that. So it became like the thing that became my comfort became the thing that mm. was also going to be the thing I needed to let go. So not only was I experiencing all these different feelings, yeah. but like the 
the tethers that I had to like home and community mm-hmm. and safety, I had to like cut. Yeah. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I feel that in my own life today. Like I feel, you Talk know, to me about well, that. no, I mean, I'm the therapist here, so we're not going to go too uh, deep on me, but <laughs> uh, no, but I feel like food for me was definitely a comfort mm. and it started for me because I went to law school and I was miserable because I went there to mm-hmm. please my parents after coming out. So I was like, Oh, I'm gay, but I'll be a lawyer. Look. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to law school and I was objectively miserable. And that's when I started cooking to feed myself and to comfort myself. And it was very similar to you. Like it was this emotional thing where like, Oh, if I, if I make delicious food, I can get through this. It's like a blanket. It's a hug. It's a, you know, and that's so fascinating to me because yeah. you didn't have the communal experience of food in your household. Although my family loved restaurants. Got it. So they like to go out to eat, um, but they never cooked at home. So like, but food in terms of my own personal relationship to food, it was something that I created for myself to, to mm. nurture myself or nourish myself, I guess. So this is the thing with me. Yeah. The food was so tied to my culture and the family experience Mm -hmm. so that even when I like went and started like, even if my mom sent something with my sister, if she came to visit, it didn't taste the same. Oh, interesting. Yes. Like what I, and I think what happened for me now that I'm on lunch therapy (laughs) is I was realizing that maybe the thing that I, what I associated with food was the family that Mm -hmm. I left. Right. And so there was actually a really, like it didn't taste the same. So when you left to come to LA, I mean, I was 14. Just kidding. (laughs) How how old were you? I was 21. 21. So you moved Uh to LA and, but but this was always, you wanted to be an actor originally and like Uh you'd worked in, and you worked in film and TV in Canada, right? Yeah. I was a documentarian and then I moved over into scripted. I'd run a couple of shows and then I was like, I'm going to, I went to film school because I was like, yeah, I'm just going to like, I want to, I want to direct and I want to act. Cause that's what I thought. I thought like the only way I would get cast is if I was the director, like fuck, like climbing the ladder of success, be the decision maker. Yeah. And that's actually been something throughout my whole career that I've, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so what ended up happening was. I totally lost my train of thought. What were you talking about? <laughs> well, no, I was going to ask you when you came to LA mm-hmm. and you talked about leaving your family behind, mm-hmm. leaving, but was that something that was always in the cards for you? Was it always clear to you that you were going to be leaving this community? And leaving, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. felt that? I always felt, I never felt like Alberta was my home. Mm-hmm. And how much did being queer have to do with that? You know, it's a good question. I think a lot. I mean, when I came out, my mom's like, you're the gay. Like, so it was like, she would call it the gay. Like, there was only like one and she had it. But it was a, it was a, I would say it was a lot to do with it. But also like, I remember going to my like dad and being like, I want to be an actor. And he's like, oh, a doctor. I was like, no, no, an actor. And he's like, doctor. I was like, you're not listening to me. I want to be an actor. He's like, you're not listening to me, right. doctor. Right. So it's very similar cultures in that way. Totally. Yeah. Which is why I, I was like, maybe I'll be like a journalist, but it just, it never clicked. And you know, the writing thing was really interesting because I wanted to direct. That's what I was saying. Mm. So I went to film school to be a director. Okay. So that I can cast myself. And then when I got there, I was like, I, there weren't scripts that really spoke to me. So I wrote one mm-hmm. and then, just standing on the shoulders of like really generous people. It ended up getting optioned and I was attached to direct. This is in Canada or no? Yeah, this is, this was my first year of film school. Oh wow. Okay. 
And then after that, my I, I wrote I was like imposter syndrome, and then wrote another film that ended up getting made. So then that is to answer your original question. I think when all that happened, <laughs> yeah. then I was like, it's time for me to maybe take a leap. And so when you came to LA, was your family supportive of that or did they? I remember my mom being like, where are you going? And I was like, LA, I've told you every day for two years. And she's like, never. (laughs) I was like, I just, yeah. So I think my mom thought I was like a weatherman for the Lebanese broadcasting channel for like 11 (laughs) years that I came here. So she had, they didn't really have any idea what I did. And I'm sure you can relate to this writing. There's so much of it. Yes. That you could be in development, you oh could have God. a movie happen, and for them, I don't know if your experience, but they have to like see it. Oh, totally. I mean, it's like Craig always points out that like some of the ni- nicest houses in LA are owned by like screenwriters who never had anything made. Totally, <laughs> like, totally. You know. But I remember acting like yeah. when they saw me as an actor, then they they, they were able it. to like process it. So okay, I want to know because um, so you're in LA, like, and you made this transition from this old lifestyle and this old yeah. world to this new life where you're thriving. But in terms of like how you eat and how you know we, we can go back to your lunch a little yeah, bit yeah. and like how you operate through the day. Can you walk us through like a typical day, like you know, exercise, eating, like what like what is what is a day in the life of Lewan Nasserdine food wise? You know, it's really interesting. I realized I've been like intermittent fast. Okay. For most of my adult life without even realizing it. So I'll wake up, I'll have like a black coffee or like an almond latte. Okay. And that'll actually keep me going Mm -hmm. until about three. Oh, great. I mean, that's a very common refrain here on this podcast is that a lot of people don't eat a lot in the middle of the day or in the beginning of the day. And I think if I'm being honest with myself, it's because I'll get to a point where I'm ravenous Mm -hmm. and then I'll have a huge meal. At three o'clock. At three o'clock. What meal is that? I mean, we can run the gamut on that. We can get some dim sum. I'm a big no, dim no, no, sum no. Guy. I mean, is that lunch or is that dinner at three o'clock? It'll be a beautiful hybrid of my own creation. Because then what will happen is I'll probably eat again a smaller meal at about nine. Wow, this it's is madness. fascinating. Yeah. And I don't know if your experience is this in the you know in the field that we're in. But food is kind of an appendage to the social aspect of oh, like totally. going out and blah, blah, blah. That's the thing I'm best at, at um, being a writer in L.A. is going to lunch. Yeah. I mean, it's what everybody does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my accountant will call and he's like, you're a mom. Like, what are you doing? My only bad thing about going to lunch with people on, in a professional context is I get a lot, a lot of food caught in my teeth. Mm. And I find myself like not wanting to pick my teeth in front of them because I don't want to make a bad impression. Well, it's what attracted me to you the most. <laughs> so Again, this is not my therapy session. Um, okay. So you ha- that's really interesting. But my, my first question to you is I could not do a morning of writing without having any food in my system. Like, so you just have the black coffee yeah. and you can sit down and write and your yeah. stomach's not growling. Yeah. And this is why, because of the way I've kind of trained myself to eat for so long, it'll okay. put me in a food coma. So I would never be able to write. And also I try to win the day. Yeah. So I just will wake up, listen to a podcast about how like politically the world's on fire. <laughs> and then that will motivate me to, <laughs> Right. <laughs> to write. Maybe if you listen to lunch therapy, you'd feel better about it. I listen things. to lunch therapy all the time. I'm so uh, excited. To be I here. know, I know. That was just a little plug. Um, but I, so you don't eat. So then at three o'clock, you have your big meal. Mm-hmm. And so today it was a burger, and the fries were a negotiation to not have the bun. But then they brought the bun. And then I'm like, when God calls, pick up the phone. <laughs> yes, you, you had know? the whole thing. Uh, 
Yeah, of course. And where does exercise fit into all this? What are you trying to say? I've, no, been, to, I've been to the gym. <laughs> by the way, I should say, I've, I've, I've gone to the gym with Liwa before, and he put me through the paces. He was, like, making me lift things and move around in a way that I've never done before at the gym. Yeah. Usually, I just, like, look at my phone and pedal on something. It was interesting that it was called weightlifting, and you were surprised by it. <laughs> you were great. You Thank were you. fantastic. You know, what happened is the exercise, I will exercise... Uh, in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do is I'll eat. Okay. And then I'll go into like a little bit of a food coma uh -huh. and then that'll spark. Oh, now you have to go to the gym. Oh. So it's like constantly at war with one another. So I feel like there's like a, like a the warring has to do a little bit with shame about food. Oh yeah, probably <laughs> a, a tremendous. I mean, isn't that why we're writers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, it, but I, I struggle with this for sure. Like this idea that like, Oh, if I have a pastry or if I have like a muffin, mm. then like I should have a salad for lunch. It's like, it's always like doing penance. It's like I committed a sin and now I'm going to do my good deed. You know, it's like, there's, there is that war within me too. Oh, absolutely. But I don't do it with salads. I'll do it with exercise. Okay. So if I had this chocolate chip cookie, I'm going to go to like a hit class yeah. and sweat. And then you realize how much you actually, like how many calories you burn versus how much that cookie at coffee commissary was. So how did, how did you, by the way, the cookies at coffee it's commissary thing, are incredible. It's the best thing that's ever happened. And to I me. think that no food writer in LA has written about the pastries at coffee commissary. I it's think it's out of control. Take it from the son are. of a pastry chef. It's that, out of control. Yeah. Go, go. But I, I mean, gonna, they look at me looking at the cookie <laughs> and they're like, Bliwa, just get it. Right. And I was like, don't, but I was going to ask, is it really dark in here, by the way? I, no, not at all. You don't mind? Okay. What we'll are you talking about? We're getting into the shame portion. Of this. <laughs> yeah. Just because the light has a fan attached, yeah. so I didn't want to turn that. Um, well, I was going to ask you, when did you feel, or do you feel like you ever, you struck equilibrium coming from the culture you came from being in LA um, and exercising and eating well? Like, was there a moment where it clicked for you or like, this is what works for me. Like I, I get what I'm doing. It's such a good question. And this is when it did, I went home mm -hmm. and we were, my mom's like, what's come. And so she like made a whole feast and I only ate half. Oh, that must've been a huge <laughs> moment with your mother, mother, right? It was, but it was like, I'm an adult now. And I love the food, but also I have to stop. And what happened is that actually got my mom more interested in exercise. So like, I'd be like, Hey, why don't we go like walk around the lake together? Oh, fascinating. Because it was like, it wasn't the most healthy stuff. But was it seeping? Has it seeped into her world yet? Like, cause like for my parents too, like going to restaurants, going to stuff, I feel like wellness and healthfulness is like a newer thing in, mm -hmm. in society. So like, is that, was that part of it for her that she like, yeah. And also there was like such, there was a, a real disconnect because growing up in Canada and in America, there is this idea of like, this is healthy food. Mm -hmm. This isn't healthy food. I mean, my mom was like 17 when she fled a war. So she, yeah. so she like literally didn't have the basics. So to her, like, yeah, homemade is what mm -hmm. she would say. I'm like, yeah, but that's not a thing. So I think now she's getting it more and more. And it also must've been a sign for her of, of, of success, like to be able to make this food, like to have escaped a war in Lebanon and to be in Canada and to be able to make all this food for her children. You know, it must have felt like a way for her to show that she'd made it in some way. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, it's like, what parts of the culture do you keep? I mean, she left when she was 17. Right. right. So just like the idea, like when I was 17 and they're like, what's Canada mean to you? But I don't know, like maple <laughs> syrup, Tim Hortons. Uh, so for her, she had a really strong connection because food was uh, a representation of her culture, of her experience, of a place that she had to leave. Mm -hmm. Like, and that was a 
big difference, right? Like I chose to leave and there was a war there. So right. I think for her, it was a love language back to her, like the motherland. And for us as a way to be like, don't get too white. <laughs> yeah. did, did, your, um, did you have any Canadian dishes that you ate growing up? Like poutine? Oh yeah, of course. Poutine. So was that I mean, you-, you have to remember for ethnic kids, when we ate white people food, yeah. like that was a game changer. Like pierogies. I was like, <laughs> mom, we're going to the store today. Oh, okay. And did she, <laughs> yeah. was she open to that? No. <laughs> I so mean, she didn't she, like it? My mom, my, you could give her gold if it wasn't hers. She's like, I don't like it. It's a too sweet. I was like, you just made a fucking right. cheesecake. What are you talking about? So yeah, there was a real sense of prop- like proprietary. Um, she wasn't about to give the now, competition. <laughs> you're in a new relationship. I am. Is cooking a part of the relationship at all? He is an exquisite cook oh okay you know what and it's really interesting because i mean he's just like a dream of a oh yeah i've met him he's very nice he's the best and like he'll be like hey can i just like come over and and just like cook and like Mm -hmm. you can work he's like i just really love it and i will say it has reminded me of like home yeah in like a really amazing way well that's why i brought that up because it seems like in seeking a romantic partner to create a sense of home you would want to be with somebody who cooked yeah and you know what i never ever made that connection Mm -hmm. i think because there was a part when i left and i think in my mind it needed to be an amputation Mm -hmm. right because i was like going it was like my spinoff right yeah (laughs) i didn't want it to feel like the original series Uh um but now that i'm 17 years old uh, (laughs) right (laughs) uh i i am kind of going back to it's actually what my like my new show is about oh yeah and that idea of like ooh, how do we go back to our traditions and it's been really great to kind of create that with Mm -hmm. him and create new traditions too you know yeah yeah and my like he'll always make fun of me because if you look at my fridge it's like there's like garlic, mm-hmm. turmeric, right? Uh, banana. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's it. What do you do with the turmeric? Ethnic people use turmeric for everything. So if you put turmeric, it's like a great anti-inflammatory. Yeah, I just drank a turmeric drink at Go Get Him Tiger. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. But you have to put black pepper with it. Oh, I didn't do that. It. Yeah. Does that make it more anti-inflammatory? Yeah, it's something to do with the components together activates. Now, this could be all bullshit. And I could be reading it <laughs> online, but now the turmeric. Yeah. I've heard turmeric is definitely an anti-inflammatory. It's an anti-inflammatory that's exasperated with uh, by black coupling pepper. it with black pepper. Yeah, yeah. So no. if you're sick, yeah, turmeric that shit. Turmeric. Well, no, all these places in LA now offer turmeric drinks. So go oh, get them. Yeah. Tiger has my favorite though because it's like almond milk and macadamia milk that they make themselves ordering one right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah with turmeric and maybe honey but i was going to ask you um i have a bunch of questions i'm still we're we're, we're doing great though this is like a good are we doing great yeah we're on like a good road i feel like we've traveled a lot of interesting places but an open book but i wanted to know as a tv writer Mm -hmm. when you're in the writer's room yes how do you handle that well you've been there it's very dark uh this is what will happen I'm my best self at like 10:30. Okay. And then it's like a downhill. So I remember like I'll always go to the PA and be like, "Hey, I want to make your job easy. Forever just get it, like when you were doing the lunch orders, I I would love if I could just get like a kale salad with chicken." And they're like, "Yeah, no problem." And I said, "Well, but here's the thing. In an hour, a guy who looks exactly like me is going to come back <laughs> and is going to ask for the burger." <laughs> And they're like, yeah, well, I'll just say no. I'm like, well, this is the problem, though. 
I will use your wounds against you. <laughs> so wow, you I had no idea. To. I never saw this happen. I was like, you just have to hold the line. Uh, and they always did. So actually, I found, I actually found I, I eat the most healthy in a writer's room. My hard thing in the writer's room was the candy and the like, yeah. snacks that I kept in the little office because like. I was fine all morning. I was fine all afternoon. But then it's like three o'clock and four o'clock and it's dragging on and you just want to eat a Reese's Pieces oh. so badly. Well, you had a trick with your Reese's Pieces, right? Did I? Yeah. What was it? I Didn't you only bring like three out? Yeah, I think so. And then you would have, and I was like, look at the self-restraint. Oh, because you would eat man. the whole, you would eat more if you Well, started. no, because if I started, it was game over. I'd like wake up in a cornfield with like Reese's Pieces. See, that's a very interesting facet to your food journey yeah. is that because you o- were overfed as a kid that yeah. it's not just like being exposed to like you know, cookies and it's that you won't be able to stop is the fear, right? Well, I, it's, it's, I won't be able to stop. And I think the association of being full is the comfort, uh-huh. right? That like, Oh, you can like open your pants. Yes. up. And there was another thing too, when like the whole family is doing it when you're not, you're like, Oh, um, but it took me a while to get a healthy relationship to food. Can you tell us more about that? Well, just because I had to create my own identity outside of it. It sounds like because you were going to restaurants, you mm-hmm. could, were you going to the same restaurants? With my parents? Yeah. Oh, yeah. My mom had it down to a science. Got like They it. know her name. They didn't, you know, my, my, my mom was on this podcast and she like said that she knows the table numbers at the restaurants that she oh, requests. So it's like, she definitely, through. that's how she mothered. She yeah. mothered through restaurants. Oh, fantastic. So that had that element. And, and Craig says I behave sometimes like my mother at restaurants, you know, just like, thinking the table they gave us wasn't the best one. You know, just like I have. I think you're delightful. We've uh, had multiple. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, but what were you going to say about yourself? About my. Well, you're, you're in, the, were you in, the, in the middle of saying. Yeah, well, I was just saying. So like for me, I had to in like the food, my personal food journey, it wasn't. I would say the food aspect was kind of secondary. Mm-hmm. I, and I also think that's why it takes me so long to eat in the morning is that I don't connect food with fuel mm-hmm. i i connect it with like a social element so right and especially culturally we talked politics mm-hmm. we would it was when the whole family came together can you walk us through a lebanese meal like how it works i mean is it like is there an appetizer is there is there drink there's no drinking or is there drinking no we ne- there was no drinking in my house okay uh so it was it was just waves of different so you would have like hummus you'd have the tabbouli or so it's like a big table is set and you're all sitting down Uh and your mom starts coming in and she's like here's some hummus here's some tabbouli and 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 she would always eat over the sink so she wouldn't eat with you guys no you'd be like come sit down and she's like no so it was like her hosting nature oh wow so that's i mean i'm very similar yeah in the sense of someone comes i'm just like you're a host i'm a host i didn't yeah. think about that yeah yeah but so so the meal would just sort of be small like, like what we call like small plates today mm, there's no such thing as a small plate. or like family so. style <laughs> everything is family style yeah yeah That's no they were huge they were it was a lot mm-hmm. i kind of think like my poor dad must have spent like 10 grand a pop a month <laughs> oh, really on food <laughs> on food that's like me like i don't yeah. spend that much on food but i i can't help myself it's, if like i see a good olive oil or like good well, olives and pita bread was always so important so like yeah. every time like hummus pita bread so there was yeah. there was a density to it that, was there anything your mom made that you didn't like yes what was it it was called fatouche and it's a chickpea meal with 
deep fry pita, bread. Pita. Yeah, I've had that. It's delicious. Yeah, I could not fuck with fatouche. Why? I don't, know, I don't know. I don't know if I had like a traumatic experience <laughs> and like that's the face of it, but right. I just it never ever did anything for me. So when you came to LA and became more cognizant of nutrition and health and fitness mm-hmm. and you went back to your mom and ate that meal where you had half of the food, yeah. were you more conscious of like looking at the food that your mom had been serving your whole childhood and being like, Oh, wait a second. That has like a stick of butter. Or I mean, yeah. whatever she was using, but like, well, I also used to monitor her. Okay. So I'd be like, mom, no, I don't need a whole stick of butter. She's like, okay. And then I would turn around and she'd like, would throw, I was like, mom, what are you doing? She's like, nothing, shut up. And like, uh, like throw it out. So that's funny. That was the other thing too, is asking my mom to modify, I think was really scary for her. I feel the same way that it's so funny. I had friends over on Sunday night and I made a mushroom risotto and I sauteed the mushrooms in butter and I used like a stick of butter to saute. It was like a ton of mushrooms. So I was like doing like two tablespoons at a time, but I was like each batch needed some butter mm-hmm. to saute. So I went through a whole stick and like I put all the mushrooms aside and then I made the risotto, which you make with a little more butter. And at the end of making the risotto, you're supposed to stir more butter in. So I served this to people and they were like, oh, this is delicious. And in my mind, I was like, there are two sticks of butter. Yeah, in your risotto. I'm killing you slowly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is that yeah. feeling of like, I am making people so happy right now, but yeah. I'm also making them very fat and very unhealthy. And there's a proprietary thing. Cause I remember when <laughs> my partner and I were on uh whole 30, we we're like, we're going to come up oh, and you're no. like, you, we can take that shit to a restaurant, but not my house. We should tell that story. So Liwa and his partner were supposed to come over for dinner and they said, Hey, we're on whole 30. I guess you just re- you just told that story. I don't know why I'm repeating it. Yeah. But my reaction to that was not that like I don't want to cook for them, but it was more like I don't want to have them come over when I'm like have lead weights on. Like I want to like have them. You want to be free, baby. Yeah. But the irony was that soon after that, like I was having like a, a little bit of like acid reflux or like things where I was like feeling like I've been eating too much. Mm. And so I was thinking about going on Whole Thirty after. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'll do Whole Thirty, and then I thought it'd be so funny if you guys were like, we're done with Whole Thirty, and then yeah. I was like, guess what you're gonna eat for dinner? But this is something that you don't know. When you were like, let's go have a restaurant, I thought, oh, like this, one of your love languages is food and to modify outside, I could see being very vulnerable. Wait, say that again. Like oh. modifying like with a whole 30 meal. Like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. That idea of the lead weights. So it actually made me think of my own relationship to my mom where yeah. I was so, and you know, especially through the lens of like a teenager, I was yeah. like, have to have a sex pack and be <laughs> healthy and blah. And also like I was, I was, I, you know, it's not like I was, people are like, hey, chubby kid. They didn't. Star. Did you, wait, I have a question. I'm going to turn the light on because it is very dark in here. Um, did you get teased as a kid? Yeah. Yes. Okay. But I always had a witty comeback. Oh, fast. This is where the humor comes from. Yeah. So what ended up happening is if anyone did tease me, I was, I was able very quickly to turn the tables and it became, people were afraid to tease really yeah so it became like my it became quippy and i remember my because my dad was 15 years older than my mom so we had a a huge generational gap mm-hmm. so it's really interesting we used to watch married with children okay. to, together right and i think that's why i started off as a sitcom writer it was a way to honor my dad uh-huh. uh and those quick one-liners came from just watching a ton of television so do you remember an encounter though, where you were being teased and you said something really funny or cutting or, I mean, I remember this <laughs> one guy did like a rap 
Uh-huh. And I was always like, I, I like I was never like relentlessly teased. And I was always that weird kid who would play like sports, but was also like the theater kid. Uh-huh. And so I kind of operated outside of the hierarchy. Like my best friend and I were like the popular guys, but like, I remember this one guy did like a rap mm-hmm. and he said something about me being fat in it. Oh, he did it in front of the whole school. He did it in the cafeteria um, and it was like a rap battle thing. And my friend Ryan was like a rapper. And I remember we co-wrote something uh, and it was brutal. He tore this guy to shreds. And I remember he came up and said, don't, please don't do it. And, oh, I, and I didn't. Oh, he read it before he, he did no, it? No, no, he didn't. But because we were so good with comebacks uh, and he knew that we were like prepping something. Yes. And I remember he came and was like, please don't, please don't do it. That's fascinating. So and when, I think when, that spread around the school. But when he called you fat in the rap, was, yeah. was that, how did that feel? I mean, was it surprising? Was it sort of something you'd heard before? Well, it's something I'd heard before. Yeah. And I think that the association with the humiliation, mm-hmm. right. That it wasn't one person saying it, it became like the public court right. uh, of something. But I also remembered everyone looking at me, not like, haha, but they were like, what the fuck is Leo going to say back? Oh, okay. So you had your power. You weren't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was that teasing is why I became a writer. Like makes me think of Hamilton for some reason, like writing your, you know, Hamilton, the musical. Yeah. I was the ghost writer. (laughs) No, but there's like a lyric in there, like about how he like wrote his way out of situations. Oh, he would write his way out. And it's sort of like you wrote your way out. Oh, totally. And you know, what's really interesting is my writing has kind of, you know, I do a lot of really personal writing. Wonderfully Um, personal. uh, And I actually realized (laughs) I've written a lot of my own experiences that are actually coming. Like, uh, I had a, a screenplay in the place where they met the meet cute mm-hmm. a year later or two years later is where I met my partner. Oh, amazing. Yeah, the meet cute in my script is my well, I was thinking about something you wrote and I hope you don't mind me bringing it up, no. um, but you wrote a wonderful piece uh, called Berlin uh-huh. and there's a scene in it where you're standing in front of the mirror. Yeah. I remember that. And I, and, and you, this was a pilot you did and you were naked, right? Yeah. And so what was that like for you to do? It was a script that uh, touched on a really uh, profound moment in my life. And when I wrote it, I remember telling myself, only write the shit that you're terrified of people seeing. And I remember being like, oh, fuck. When people read this they're going to know everything and it's going to be so much about, Oh my God. And what is this? And blah, and these questions. And what I actually found was it gave people permission, like the amount of guys, cause to give you a sense of the scene, go to boot camp. I'm naked in front of a mirror and I'm pinching the little fat mm-hmm. anywhere in my body. The interesting thing about that. And it was the hardest scene to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first actor who signed on board, mm-hmm flag that scene he's like i know exactly what that's about right. and this person was like thin yeah and, and it was like a really it was a really interesting scene because i realized i don't think there is going to be an end to my journey because i actually think the pinching my body was about control mm-hmm. right like this is my thing and i can control it so if i have an inch of fat i can get right. rid of it 
right? So it's where I compartmentalized anxiety. But it also makes me think about perception because it's oh. like you look at an image of yourself in the mirror and see one thing and then I look at it and see something completely different, you know? Yeah. And I look at myself and maybe see one thing and delude myself into thinking I see something, you know, it's well, like... I think body dysmorphia is a huge, huge thing that happens. I mean, I mean, I can't... My friends who are women, I mean, I couldn't even imagine. But mm-hmm. I think gay men too in the way that the culture has kind of defined what it means to have love oh yeah i mean i have body way and love, yeah blah, 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 blah. most yeah. of my gay male i think i feel like i have more gay male friends with body dysmorphia than i have female friends yeah and i have it i also feel like within the gay experience that it's so tied to love mm-hmm. right you won't get that love from the gay community you, if you're and, not you go to the gym and I was like, I don't know how all these motherfuckers have the time. Well, that was like my coming out experience. I'll never forget this for as long as I live. But I remember when um, I lived in Atlanta, I came out and mm-hmm. I, um, my friend Ricky took me to my first gay bar. And I remember I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be it. Like, I'm going to walk in there and it's going to feel like hallelujah. And like, you know, Olivia Newton-John's going to give me a hug and um, I'll just be dancing. It's just going to be amazing. And I walked in. And I saw these guys like with in tank tops and muscles and they were giving me like side eye. Like it was uh-huh. just this feeling of like, oh, I don't fit in. Like it was this, this immediate feeling of I am not one of these people. Was your experience that oh, when I get out of the straight world and my queer, I will be accepted yes. by this whole thing. And then you're kind of left in the hallway of, sure. wait, what community yeah. do I fit in? And yeah, and I think that internalized anxiety is why I was like, well, if I can just get rid of this mm-hmm. two inches. And it's really, you know, it was really interesting because even I'm spilling tea about my relationship, but it was one Please of the things I... I remember I was like, hey, babe, like, because I was on a writing deadline. And I was like, if I ever, like, if I start to, like, balloon, yeah. let me know. And he was like, no. <laughs> He's like, why? Yeah. And it was, like, this weird thing where I was like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do that. All right. That's fascinating. And when he was like, why would I? He's like, I love you. You're great. That's got to be a confusing message for you, too, because it's like, you were talking about the two kinds of love. Like to, you just talked about the love from the gay world, but then the love you got from your mother was through food. So it's sort of like, oh. so now you have a partner who's offering you, you know, both. It's very, it's all, <laughs> I'm very excited to write it in a screenplay. This might have to be yeah. a two hour session. I, I think. Love it. I <laughs> yeah. love it. Are we getting, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, no, it's, but it's so interesting to me. I, I find like I was at the gym yesterday, humble brag. Oh, and, um, daddy. And these, this trainer <laughs> was like helping a new client and the client was like, I'm just don't like my body. And he pulled up his shirt. And he had like the most outrageous six pack abs. And he was like, I just don't like over here how it does that. And then the trainer pulled up his shirt and it was like, yeah. And then he had like, six abs. And was, like I felt like I was in a porn and they were like both complaining about how they did. And I was like, what world am I in? Like what is happening right now? I bet they are both porn stars. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. I should Google them. Exactly. Um, well, Levi, we're nearing the end. We're not oh, quite at the end. Okay. Look at this. Time flies by when you're talking is, about shame. I feel like you had a lot to talk about. It was really interesting. But um, every podcast starts with what did you have for lunch? but it ends with what are you going to have for dinner tonight? I, oh, you look flummoxed. No, because I'm going to, it's interesting. Uh, uh, three, three people. I'm trying to think like, <laughs> I'm going not on a triple date. Oh, uh, I'm going on a triple date. What does that mean? Um, that there's going to be three couples. Oh, three couples. Yeah. Okay. Three couples. And we're going to Yisabel. So I am oh, nice. going to have a pasta dish and I love ravioli. How do you know that you're going to have a pasta dish if you haven't 
physically gone yet. And well, like your mom, <laughs> Adam, I have about five restaurants. Oh, and they know you there. They know me there. And so when the management changes, I take it as a personal attack. <laughs> I've never been there, but I heard it's really good. Isabel is fantastic. They used to have this pork bun appetizer that was like, like murder for it. Uh-huh. Uh, they got it taken off the menu, which like triggered a lot of abandonment for me. <laughs> and then, uh, but now they have, they have the ravioli and I love pasta. I love it so much. So tell me about the logic as a fit person or someone who's interested mm-hmm. in fitness of having a ideally having a burger with no bun for lunch but then eating pasta at nine o'clock at night because mm-hmm. i've been told that it's bad to eat like your quote-unquote like worst meal right before bed absolutely so this <laughs> is the storm that's happening in my brain yeah. i i do like a lot of high intense which i'm sure is gonna like fuck up my knees and stuff like that so i think high intensity workouts yeah okay so i'm thinking if that sounded so pretentious. Like I do like a bear, like a hit program is what yeah, I'm trying to say. It's not pretentious. That's impressive. Um, I, I try to do a hit program. So I think in my mind, cause they're just like, it's like so fucking hard mm-hmm. that I won't do it unless there's like the ghost of shame. Like uh, you fat fuck. Remember when you ate that shit? So that's amazing. So you have the bad, you have the quote unquote bad dinner to motivate yourself the next day. Oh, it's like a tug. Of, it's the worst game of tug of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I will say, so it's not all doom and gloom. I, I feel like, probably i'm 34 now and it was in my 30s where i was just like you know what i need to stop because this is not about food yes it's actually not about comfort it's i mean it is about comfort in that weird way that it keeps you stuck mm-hmm. um with that said i'm gonna be having pasta today and a burger <laughs> this morning so well it's interesting because I, I had therapy today and my therapist was asking me a line of questioning that was different but it makes me think a similar question to you would be um like what? What is the fear behind gaining weight again? Like what? What, what is what's what would happen if you? Like you, you what talk, a great question! Yeah, and let me answer with what I think, just based off the top of my head. I think making the move and going after my dreams was a marker for me of being a different person. Mm-hmm. And so there are certain things I attribute to who I was versus who I am, mm-hmm. and maybe gaining that weight is a way to go back to who I was instead of maybe honoring the person that I am now. But maybe there's a new, that's like, the answer. Adam. No, <laughs> kidding. no, no, that, that's interesting. But I feel like no. I, I feel this way personally too, that like moving forward can also mean synthesizing who you were in the past. I mean, I struggle with that too, coming from my family. I think in that Florida. integration, I think you're spot on with that. And yeah. it's what I'm now exploring. Sure. How do I integrate and having a loving partner who's having, cooking for you, who's cooking. And it's actually like, I'm a pretty good cook. I don't, you are. Yeah. I've never heard you say that before. Yeah, you want to know why? why? And you're going to throw this microphone at my face. The time it takes to cook. Mm-hmm. It's just too much time. But you're but you are a good cook? I'm a good cook. Like what do you make? I make a chicken and I take it's I just, you're gonna hate it. <laughs> it's I don't like know a, what it is. It's like yet. a blue cheese okay. with cranberries. Okay. And then I will cut a chicken breast in half. Uh-huh. And then I'll put the cheese inside and yeah. I will roll it. Sounds delicious. And then I'll put toothpicks. Yeah. And then I will bake it for twenty three minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it's delicious. And then I put sweet potato fries. A uh, sweet potato, mashed potatoes, sweet mashed potatoes. You make those too? And I make those too. And what do you like put in there? To, to, do you put butter in there? Oh, or? yeah. I put butter in there. I put almond milk. It almost sounds like a Thanksgiving kind of meal. Yeah. Like, no, everything has to be an event. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. But where did you learn that one? You know what? I, this is how I learned it. 
I had a date and they were like, uh, I would love if you cooked. <laughs> and I was like, I know I can just put like a chicken breast. <laughs> that kind of sounded like oh, a date man. dish. It sounded oh, like the totally kind of rolling it up. Yeah. 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 But do you make any of the food that you grew up with? Like, can you make a dish? No. You don't make anything like that. No, because she doesn't, my mom doesn't teach me. But what about buying a cookbook? The thing is, I feel like I would be like cheating on my family. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like if my mom walked in and saw a cookbook, it's like yeah. worse than any porn on my computer. Like, she'd be like, How dare you? <laughs> but, maybe, but maybe that'd be part of your moving forward would be to like find a version of these dishes that, that become your signature version of those dishes. Yeah. Or, or, you know, with FaceTime and stuff like that, I would actually like to start doing it with my like yeah. with my mom like in Canada and have that experience of like what it actually means. That sounds like a cooking show. Are you going to produce my cooking? Yeah, show, let's Adam? do it. Leo, oh <laughs> this was a wonderful session. Do you feel good about it? I feel great about it. I feel so hungry. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for coming thank on. Thank you, Yay. man.